I have a confession to make this morning as I begin, and this confession is sort of the premise that's going to be unspoken in our study together. I believe that there is a, an almighty God who is living and on the throne of the universe. Do you believe that? <clears throat> I also believe that we are involved in a great controversy, a great controversy between good and evil, between Christ and Satan specifically. In other words, that there's, we're not just living in a world where there are unseen powers, but we are living in a world where there are unseen powers battling for supremacy. There are unseen powers that might be considered good and might be considered bad. And, and this is defined for me by the Word of God. That's why I believe it today. And so today as we, as we share and as we open God's Word, I want us to just remember that, keep that in mind. That's sort of the premise. We don't have time to study that entirely or to look in logic and reason for all of the um, arguments for why I believe that, but that's an underlying premise and what we're going to be sharing today. In fact, even this week, I believe I've seen that. I've experienced the power of God in my life, haven't you? And um, at times, I have also experienced the power of Satan, the power of the devil. In fact, this week, I lost my voice completely, and I was thinking about giving up on preaching this Sabbath, um, especially when um, after losing it completely, it came back mostly for a day, and then I was feeling worse the next day on Thursday, and I thought, this is going to be a disaster. I'm going to get there on Sabbath morning and not be able to talk. And, um, and then I began remembering something. I began remembering, first of all, that um, I've preached this type of topic many times, not this exact sermon, but on this topic many times. And in my, in my experience preaching in over 50 countries, many, many sermons, I have found there are certain topics the devil hates. Did you know that? It has been remarkable for me to see two or three particular topics I have seen over and over the devil working. It's just been so, I, I, I think probably, you know, having preached some of these, these sermons in many different countries for many years, I, I saw a trend established. And you could, certain subjects, things like the power would go out, there would be a storm, there would be a computer crash, a projector bulb would blow, all of Always, it seemed like, on one of two or three different sermons. And I became convinced that the devil is alive and well. Now, I don't want to glorify the devil today. I want to glorify Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And I believe that we serve a crucified and risen Savior, a soon-coming Savior. And he is, my friends, all-powerful. And so we don't want to dwell upon the devil's power today. We want to dwell upon Jesus' power. But that's why we're going to take a look at God's Word, and particularly the idea of voices from beyond the grave. I would invite you to bow your heads with me for an additional word of prayer. Father in heaven, today we are just thankful. We're thankful that we serve a risen Savior. We're, thank we're thankful that He's not just risen and on the right hand of the throne of God, but that He is in the world today, that He is moving on our hearts, that He is leading us by His Word and by His Spirit, and that He is saving us by His grace and through His blood. 
And today, Father, I just want to pray once again that you will honor our faith and the faith of your people who have gathered together today. Lord, they haven't come to hear my words. They've come to hear your word. And we pray, I pray, that you might speak through your word today, that we might have an understanding of your word for our lives, and that we might come to know Jesus, the living word, better for our time spent today. We thank you in his name. Amen. Well, it was in the middle of the 18th, 1800s actually, 1848 to be specific, that the uh, Fox sisters, the Fox family, moved into a home in a little town or hamlet called Hydesville, New York, not far from Rochester, New York. And there in this little home, um, the family uh, set up their residence, and uh, they, were, they were aware of some rumors that had been going around in the community there. The rumor was that this home was a haunted house. Some of you may be familiar with this story. This was the rumor. The rumor was that this was a haunted house. And um, it wasn't until late March of 1848 that uh, the family began to be frightened by unexplained noises. And at times, these noises sound like knocking, and other times it sounded like moving of furniture. Well, I'm not sure what these girls, these three sisters, thought they were doing, but they thought they would capitalize on this noise that was in their house, and they would scare their parents. And so, in 1888, 40 years later, one of the sisters confessed this is how it all began. They actually, I think in the attic somehow, they tied a string onto an apple and put this string over a rafter and threaded it down to a place where they could pull on it, and they could make knockings and bumping noises over their parents' room, or in some way scare their parents by these knocking noises. Um, It was, was, uh, this was what Margaret, one of the sisters, said in, in 1888. When we went to bed at night, we used to tie an apple to a string and move the string up and down, causing the apple to bump on the floor. Or we would drop the apple on the floor, making a strange noise every time it would rebound. And um, because they were so young, their parents did not suspect them of being capable of such a trick. But they began playing even further with this. This house was supposedly haunted. And they began, uh, this is according to their story later, there's some ambiguity to this story, I must admit. um, There are skeptics to the story, but we're going to look at some of the evidence that existed as well. And you have to remember, when you read the skeptic's account, this was in the Age of Enlightenment when people were beginning to say, we don't need to be held by superstitions such as God and religion, you understand? They were trying to cast off everything as being scientifically explainable. No such thing as God, no such thing as miracles. So there were, there were some who began to um, have a, an interest in this movement and others who had began to, to sort of fight against it. Um, during the night of March 31, um, Kate challenged this invisible noisemaker, presumed to be a spirit, to repeat the snaps of her finger. Now, what started as a game took a little more serious nature when the rappings started repeating and echoing what they were doing. It was asked to rap out the ages of the girls, and it did. So, the neighbors were called in 
to see this strange phenomenon. And over the course of the next few days, a code was devised where raps could signify yes or no in response to a question used to indicate a letter of the alphabet. The girls addressed the spirit as Mr. Splitfoot, which was uh, a nickname at the time for the devil, Mr. Splitfoot. Later, the alleged entity creating the sounds claimed to be the spirit of a peddler named Charles B. Rosna, who had been murdered five years earlier and buried in the cellar. Now, although at that time the cellar was examined and no corpse was found, in 1904, children playing in that house cellar actually discovered in a decaying false wall a body and bones, which only led to the uh, greater mystery around this story. Um, so, no missing person named Charles Rosna was ever identified. However, the neighbors were now convinced that this haunted house was really haunted by the spirit of this peddler, and um, they asked the spirit more, and they concluded that the murder must have been committed by someone who lived in the house. And if you went five years back and found out who lived in the house, it happened to be a man by the name, last name of Bell, who lived in a town nearby. And um, this poor innocent man, I believe he was innocent, um, would be shunned by the community and looked upon as a murderer for the rest of his life because of these wrappings coming from the fox sister's house. Now, during this time, uh, Kate and Margaret, the two younger girls, were sent to the nearby Rochester community to stay in the house of their older sister, Leah. And um, the wrappings followed them. There in Rochester, a group of Quakers... Um, who were long-standing friends of the Fox family, invited the girls into their Rochester home, and the phenomenon of the spirit communication quickly spread throughout a local Quaker community there, and it turned into what became a worldwide phenomenon. There in this little house outside of Rochester, New York, is considered the birthplace of modern spiritism, or as some termed, modern spiritualism. Now, some have tried to explain it as simply a uh, cracking of a joint. In fact, there were critics or skeptics who said that if they would just allow them to be, you know, their long dresses to be raised, they were sure that it was coming from their knees or toes. In fact, later, the sisters admitted that they could make rapping noises with their toes. But um, this, did, this would not explain how many, many others, hundreds of others, who became a part of this spiritist movement began to be able to elucidate these wrappings as well. Nor would it explain some of the, some of the phenomenon that was examined and recorded by this gentleman, a scientist by the name of Coakley. He was a British scientist who actually uh, discovered the... Um, the uh, element of thallium. He's the first scientist to have, have demonstrated that he had isolated helium molecules. Um, he, was a, he was a renowned scientist. He, uh, uh, he developed the spec spectroscope, I believe that's how you would say it, to, um, to, to try to discover more elements and so forth. 
And he spent some time, he became an avowed spiritist himself after spending time with the Fox sisters. And this is what he described. I want you to just listen to his description. These sounds are noticed with almost every medium. That's the popping or the snapping or the, the rapping noises. But for power and certainty, I have met with no one who at all approached Miss Kate Fox. For several months, I enjoyed almost unlimited opportunity of testing the various phenomena occurring in the presence of this lady, and I especially examined the phenomena of these sounds. With mediums, generally, it is necessary to sit for a formal seance before anything is heard. But in the case of Miss Fox, it seems only necessary for her to place her hand on any substance for loud thuds to be heard in it. In like a triple pulsation, sometimes loud enough to be heard several rooms off. In this manner, I have heard them in a living tree, on a sheet of glass, on a stretched iron wire, on a stretched membrane, a tambourine, on the roof of a cab, on the floor of a theater. Moreover, the actual contact is not always necessary. I have heard these sounds proceeding from the floor, walls, etc., when the medium's hands and feet were held, when she was standing on a chair, when she was suspended in a swing from the ceiling, when she was enclosed in a wire cage, and when she had fallen fainting on a sofa. I have heard them on a glass harmonicon. I have felt them on my own shoulder and under my own hands. I have heard them on a sheet of paper held between the fingers by a piece of thread passed through one corner. With full knowledge of the numerous theories which have been started chiefly in America to explain these sounds, I have tested them in every way that I could devise until there has been no escape from the conviction that they were true objective occurrences not produced by trickery or mechanical means. Very interesting, very, in, very exhaustive study of this phenomenon this scientist, scientist made. Now the question is, um, of course, when we look at this, we, we think, is this real? Could the dead really talk? Could they communicate with us? Um, nearby Rochester, New York, there was another spiritual movement beginning. This is not long after the great uh, uh, Advent movement of Christians in all denominations looking for the second coming of Jesus in the near future. And um, a, a young Christian by the name of Ellen Harmon, Ellen White by this time, was, uh, was aware of what was going on a few miles away, 25 miles away or so. And she wrote early about that in 1848, and she would write later, about five years later. Earlier, her statement was that this was a beginning of a movement that would spread around the world and that it would deceive many people. She said, and she's quoting her, part of her earlier statement here, I saw that the mysterious knocking in New York and other places was the power of Satan, and that such things would be more and more common, clothed in a religious garb, so as to lull the deceived to greater security and to draw the minds of God's people, if possible, to those things and cause them to doubt the teaching and power of the Holy Ghost. This view, she just quoted, was given in 1849, nearly five years since or before. Then spirit manifestations were mostly confined to the city of Rochester, known as the Rochester Knockings. Since that time, the heresy has spread beyond the expectations of everyone. If you look at the movement of spiritualism in the late 1800s, you will find that it crossed the Atlantic, it spread across Europe, and it had very many different forms. One of the forms that it took on was that of table turnings. I don't know if you're familiar with table turnings, but this is a picture or an engraving of a table turning going on in Paris. A table turning is where people would come and basically in a seance, 
they would sit around a table or stand around a table, and the table was aligned with different letters and different parts of the alphabet and different words or whatever, different ways of doing it. They would all place their hand on the table and they would wait until the table moved by itself. And the moving of the table would spell out messages and send messages. And they would have this means of communicating with the spirit world. That was very common. Table turning or table tipping became a popular thing. And um, the, 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 the experience would be similar to what today you're probably more familiar with a Ouija board, right? A Ouija board is simply a, a small table turning exercise. Now, the question becomes, what do we make of all this? Was it all just in their imagination? Was it all just sleight of hand? Was it all just trickery? Or is there a power in this world that is able to deceive us? Is there a power in this world that is able to use these types of, of uh, playing with the spirit powers to bring about supernatural experiences? I think it's important for us, I believe it's very important for us to get our answers from the Word of God. How about you? And so this morning we're going to take our Bibles and we're going to turn back to our scripture today and we're going to see what God said in Leviticus. We're going to take from there, we're going to move on to some other passages as well. But um, Leviticus chapter 19 is where we're going to begin. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 39, or, uh, 31, our scripture for today. Leviticus 19, and this is the, the instruction that God gives to His people as they come into the promised land that they would not have any regard for those who claim to have contact with the spirit world. There was one God, He was God, and He had given them a way to maintain communication with them, had He not? He had given them the sanctuary service. He had given them the priests. He gave them the Urim and the Thummim. He gave them through Moses, the, the books of Moses, and through the prophets. He would continue to reveal His will to them. But he says here in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 31, Regard not them who have familiar spirits, neither seek after wizards to be defiled by them. And now notice why he says this. What, what does he end this, this, this injunction with? I am the Lord your God. In other words, even in this very first verse, our scripture for today, we can see there's an issue here. God, remember, he describes himself sometimes as a jealous God. No, that's not, that doesn't mean that he doesn't want other people to prosper or that he's jealous of what we have or do. That's not what he means at all. What he means is he wants a committed relationship with us. That's what he seeks after. He wants us to be in a faithful relationship with him, a spiritual relationship with him. And he says here, I am the Lord your God. Don't seek for supernatural connections outside of me. In other words, there's a, there seems to be indicated here, and we're going to look elsewhere that this issue comes up again, there seems to be indicated an, uh, an issue of loyalty, doesn't there? an issue of loyalty. Jesus is our Savior. He is our God. He is capable of supernatural things. He says He alone knows the future. Of course, He knows all things. And He says, inquire of Me. Ask of Me. I am your Lord. I will guide you. I will direct you. I will answer your questions, and so forth and so on. Let's look back a few chapters to the book previous to Leviticus the book of Exodus, and we're going to look at Exodus chapter 22 and verse 18. Exodus chapter 22 and verse 18. 
And when you're there, can you say amen? All right, let's, let's notice what uh, further counsel was given to God's people as they entered the promised land. The short verse, and I'm reading from the King James Version. It sounds very much like the Ten Commandments, like two chapters earlier. It simply says, Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Now, I know the God that I serve. And I believe that God saves, God can save even witches. Do you believe that? I believe that. But I think what he's saying is, look, if someone is not interested in following the God of heaven and is going to choose to persist in witchcraft, they were not to be allowed to live among God's people. That's just what the Bible says. And, and so this was a pretty serious thing in God's eyes, wasn't it? This was a pretty serious, serious um, issue that he speaks and gives them clear instructions about. Let's look now to Isaiah, the gospel prophet. We're going to look in Isaiah chapter 8, verses 19 and 20, and this perhaps is a seminal verse in this subject. Isaiah chapter 8, I love to hear those pages turning in your Bibles, because I want to, I want to hear what God's Word says, not, not man's ideas, amen? And I, I know you are the same. Isaiah chapter 8, and verse, beginning with verse 19, <clears throat> it says, And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, unto wizards that peep and that mutter, shall not a people seek unto their God for the living to the dead? To the law and to the testimony, verse 20 says, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Now, this is what Isaiah reminds us of. Look, he's saying, God does not want His people to be looking to mediums and wizards and witches and necromancers for communication with the spirits or communication with the dead. Instead, he says, the living should turn to their God. We serve a living God, right? And we, the living, ought to turn to our God for answers, not to these other sources. And then he says, he brings up a new issue, which I think is very, very important, to the law and to the testimony, the law being the five books of Moses, often, and the uh, other the testimony referring to the prophetic works. Um, um, this is a, 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 um, a phrase or a ter terminology that is used by Jesus and others in the New Testament as well. To the law and to the testimony, the Word of God, in other words, if they speak not according to this Word, it is because there is no light in them. You see, somehow, Isaiah knew that there would be some people who would be tempted to take the voice or the messages coming from a spirit world or a spirit medium and even listen to it above God's Word. Do you think that's possible? I don't, think it's, I don't think it's just possible. I can say, I've seen it happen. Unfortunately, even today in 2014, it seems as though many postmoderns and even Christians seem to believe that we live in a spirit world where all spirits must be good. And all the supernatural must be good. And there's not much distance or caution used in evaluating whether those spirits are speaking according to God's Word or not. Now, this is important for a couple of reasons. We're going to be looking at the. It's important for a couple of reasons. It's because 
sometimes I believe the devil will be using and already has used this type of means to play with our minds and to play with our hearts. You know, it may not seem very likely that you and I would be influenced by a peddler named Charles, right? But many people would be much more influenced by a departed loved one. Can you imagine the emotional tug, the emotional pull? And maybe some of you have heard some of those stories. It's common. Even close friends and family of mine believe it. They believe that their mom touched them on the shoulder or said something to them or you, you can fill in the blank. And so what we're studying this morning, I believe, is very, very important. We're going to look at why. Why is this important? He's given us a couple of reasons already in the Bible verses we've read. He wants us to turn to Him, not to our departed loved ones. That's one reason. The living should turn not to the dead, but, but to Him. Um, and there are other supernatural intelligences that would like to deceive us. Let's just look at two passages here from God's Word. We want to see what God says. So let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 is not specifically talking about this idea of communication with the dead, so I don't want to, anyone to feel like I'm taking it out of context here, but it has in the context of Christian ministers deceiving people, Paul, that's what he's talking about here, uh, Paul actually makes a statement that's very, very enlightening. He's talking about a, an apostasy that would take place and that even was beginning to take place at his time where there would be false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. In other words, there would be wolves in sheep's clothing in the Christian church. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse, 12, uh, verse 13. Notice with me what he says in verse 14, however. And um, I said verse 17 there. I'm not sure where I got 17. It's verse 14 we're looking at. Notice with me what he says, And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into a what? Angel of light. Did you realize, friends, that Satan has the ability to assume forms that don't look like we think he should look? There are many people who think the devil comes to us with, you know, as a red little being with these horns and a pitchfork. And the devil probably is happy when we think that's who, what he's like because we'll probably never see someone coming to us with horns and a pitchfork, a little red bean. Um, he comes to us in much more subtle ways. You remember in the Garden of Eden, how did he deceive Eve? He took the form of what? A serpent, right? He came and deceived and, and tempted Jesus in the wilderness. No doubt he didn't come as the devil. He came as an angel from heaven. Here it's very clear. Paul says Satan himself is able to be transformed into an angel of light. I believe, this is my own conviction, I believe that Satan is able, or his demons are able, to take the form, many different forms, and, and impersonate, impersonate people, uh, imitating their habits and voices and mannerisms, and so forth. After all, if we are living in a world where there are unseen beings, they would know us pretty well, wouldn't they? They would know 
who we are and what we're doing. Let's look at one more verse, Revelation chapter uh, 16 and verse 14. Revelation chapter 16. This is a prophecy especially of what would take place in the last days. We won't go into the whole chapter here, but this is just before the time of the end. Um, well, during the time of the end. <clears throat> but notice with me how the world is deceived in the last days. Revelation 16 and verse 14, talking about unclean spirits. And notice with me what it says. For they are the spirits of devils. What are they doing? Working miracles. Keep that, tuck that away in your mind. Friends of mine today, we have to recognize that even if somebody or something or some person performs a miracle that we cannot doubt took place before our very eyes, it doesn't mean we ought to believe everything they say. What, is the, what does Isaiah say? To the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. We ought to take our instructions, our beliefs, our understandings of God and, and Christ and our, His plan for our lives from the Word, not from even supernatural occurrences. So, verse 14, For they are spirits of wor devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and unto the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. A de massive deception is predicted before the end of this great controversy. And I believe the devil will work in remarkable ways. So God wants us to turn to Him. And if we turn to the dead, we are placing ourselves on dangerous ground where the devil is able to deceive us. Some people might ask, but what about that story? That story from 1 Samuel chapter 28 about King Saul. You know that story, right? The story of Saul having his own death predicted by the deceased prophet Samuel. What about that story? 1 Samuel chapter 28, turn with me there. We're not going to read all the verses, verses 7 through about 20 or so we would have to read. But this is the story, and um, it begins in verse 7. Saul said unto his servants, Seek me a woman who has a familiar spirit, that I may go to her and inquire of her. Now, let me ask you a question. Was this before God said there should be no such mediums in Israel or after? This is after. Now, you think Saul knew about this? In fact, if you go back in the early part of 1 Samuel, you'll find that Saul himself, one of the first things that he did after he became king was to cleanse the land of mediums. Saul knew what he was doing. Saul knew that he was going to a forbidden source for information. And so he asks his servants to go. And, and Saul disguises himself and puts on other clothes. And he went and went with two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, I pray thee, divine unto me by the familiar spirit, and bring him up whose name I will give, uh, whom I shall name unto you. And the woman said unto him, Behold, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off those who have familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. Wherefore then layest thou a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul sware to him, her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, there shall no punishment happen to thee for this thing. And then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up unto thee? And he said, Bring me Samuel. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. Um, do you see what's going on here? There's a seance going on. Saul's there. His friends are there. His two, uh, two uh, closest bodyguards, I guess. 
The woman is there. The woman doesn't know who Saul is, but as soon as this spirit comes up, she's aware, she's informed that this is Saul, and she becomes of panic. <clears throat> Don't be afraid, Saul says. And he says, um, what did you see? And verse 13, the end of the verse, she says, uh, I saw gods ascending out of the earth, spirits ascending out of the earth. And he said, what form is he of? And she said, an old man comes up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed himself. Now, I want to say something right now. I believe, and I'm going to give you reasons why, I do not believe this was actually Samuel. Saul perceived it was Samuel, and the rest of the text goes on to talk as if it's a dialogue between Samuel and Saul. But I do not believe this was literally Saul, uh, Samuel, and I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you a number of reasons why this is not true, even though he did make a prediction in the end. Let's look at a couple of reasons why this could not be Samuel. First of all, I want you to keep your finger right here in 1 Samuel 28. Look back a few chapters to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15, and we're going to look at a number of verses here that have the beginning of this story, the background of this story. The story was that Samuel said, wait until I come and I'm going to join you to sacrifice before the Lord. You remember the story? As they were going to go um, and, and uh, fight against King Agag. And um, <clears throat> after days passed and the morale of the troops was going down and Saul decided he had to do something himself, remember? And Saul actually went and performed the function of a priest. He, I guess he figured, I'm a king. I might as well do this as well. And so he himself sacrificed these offerings and presented them to the Lord. And um, sooner, no sooner had he done this than Samuel appeared on the scene. <laughs> you know, sometimes, sometimes God's, God's timing is right. We, we, we don't know God's timing. He wanted, I suppose, Dan, uh, Saul to learn to wait on God's timing. But notice what it says, um, verse 19. Let's just look at 15, verse 19. Wherefore then... Didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the soil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, except, you know, I did this and this and this. It wasn't what he told me to do. Um, and this is what he says in verse, verse 22. Samuel says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. You see, God wasn't interested in people just killing all kinds of animals. That wasn't the point. He wasn't somehow gratified by this burning flesh. He was gratified when people learned to obey Him. And there's an interesting interaction that goes on here. This was evidently not a first step in Saul's rejection of what God had been trying to say to him. For verse 23 goes on, he says, For rebellion is as the sin of, what does it say? Witchcraft and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected thee from being king. That's pretty heavy language coming out there, isn't it? Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he is also rejected 
you from being king. Now Saul realizes that this has serious consequences, and whether this was genuine repentance or not, I would doubt, but he begins to say, I, I've sinned, I have transgressed the commandments, for I feared the people, and therefore I obeyed their voice. Now pardon me, forgive, turn with me, worship with me. And Samuel says in verse 26, Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned about to go away, he laid hold on the skirt of his mantle, and it tore, it rent, King James says. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord has rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and has given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. You see, my friends, Saul then began. You know the story between David and Saul, right? That whole, that whole drama that took place. Saul would go on, for example, to kill all of the priests of the Lord at Shiloh, except one Abimelech that ran away and found David in the Philistine hideout, right? That's the kind of hard-hearted rejection of God that Saul had come to, to the point where he would kill the priests. And so if you flip back to, to 1 Samuel chapter 28, I want you to notice something here. He's rejected the word of the Lord. He refuses to obey. He'd rather do his own thing. And friends, today I just want, for me this is a, this is a huge, huge caution flag. I dare not do what I think is best. I best seek to follow God's word. That's what Saul went wrong trying to improve upon God's plan. You know, I may think, but what I think doesn't really matter, does it? It's what, what does God say? That's what I want to know. That's what I want to believe. If you look with me in 1 Samuel chapter 28 and verse 6, you see the predicament that Saul finds himself in. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by prophets. How in the world is the breastplate of the high priest going to answer the requests of the man who killed the whole priesthood? How in the world are the prophets, God's prophets, they were still alive. Now, Samuel had already died by this time. But how in the world are the prophets that are still living going to have a message from God to a person who has rejected the messages God already gave him? You see the problem? And so Samuel, I mean, Saul finds himself in a predicament. He's facing this Philistine battle. He doesn't know if he should go and fight or not. And now all of a sudden he wishes he had God's guidance and God's wisdom and God's counsel. But he went to the prophets and they wouldn't help him. He, he went to the priests and they couldn't help him. He didn't have any revelation of dreams. I mean, at one time the Holy Spirit had been poured out on Saul. He had prophesied himself. But nothing. And so, having no response from God through the, through the means which God Himself had put in place for communicating with His people, He now turns to a medium, a, a medium of communication which God had said was not to be tolerated, not to be allowed. And He begins looking for answers there. So, we notice that God was not answering Saul in these, other, in these other ways. We notice also that Saul did not himself see Samuel. 
the medium saw spirits or gods coming from the earth. We could also note here that it would not make sense for Samuel to respond to a request from the dead when the prophets who were living would not respond. That wouldn't make sense at all, would it? I suppose, if you believe this were possible, it would have to be with God's permission and God's allowance for there to be communication between the living and the dead. And he's already strictly forbidden it. Why would he facilitate this? Why would God speak through a medium he had forbidden when he wouldn't speak through the channels of communication that he had ordained? There's no good answer to that except to believe that this medium was channeling communication from the spirit world, but not from Samuel, from some deceiving spirits as well. The question some would ask is, how then would Samuel be, or this spirit Samuel be able to give Saul this information? Let's look on. Verse 15, 1 Samuel 28. Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disquieted me to bring me up? And Saul answered, I am sore distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me and answers me no more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called thee that thou shouldst make known unto me what I, may, what I shall do. Here he confesses, doesn't he? Makes it pretty clear that God wasn't responsive. And then said Samuel, Wherefore then dost thou ask of me, seeing the Lord has departed from thee and has become thine enemy? And he says, As the Lord has done to him, as he spake by me, for the Lord has rent the kingdom out of your hand and given it to the hand of thy neighbor, even to David. Now, tell me, is it true or not? Those are pretty much exactly the words that Samuel said back in chapter 15. Yeah. Does that prove that this has to be Samuel coming back from the dead and speaking? Why not? Wouldn't the evil angels, wouldn't, wouldn't the powers that are in the spirit world, the unseen powers, wouldn't they be aware of what Samuel said? Of course. They could easily have been aware, and they would be able to repeat that. And then it goes on into a prediction. Because you did not obey the voice, because of your disobedience, the Lord will also deliver you to the Philistines. And he basically said, you're going to die, and, um, and uh, your sons will die also with you tomorrow. Some people ask, well, if this was not God, or if this was not a, of God, this was not the prophet Samuel, how would he be able to foretell the future? Saul and his sons did die the next day. It's very simple, I believe. The devil knew that God had removed his protection from King Saul. And while the devil does not know the future, the devil could still predict the future. There's a difference between foretelling and predicting, isn't there? I mean, the weather forecasters predict. <laughs> they don't foretell, right? I believe God alone can foretell the future. But I think the devil, with his study of humanity and, and everything else that's going on around us, he has a pretty good chance of predicting some things. So I believe this was, a, this, I believe this was an evil spirit masquerading in the form of Saul, deceiving, deceiving him and giving him much distress. Of course, sometimes our expectations become our reality, don't they? I don't think that Saul must have gone into the battle the next day with the greatest courage or the greatest confidence. He actually believed the Spirit, it seems. He fainted on the ground, and he accepted his fate that he would die the next day. 
So the devil would know that that Saul's, uh, God's protection was removed from Saul. But what's the real issue here? The real issue, I believe, in this topic is found here in Isaiah chapter, 28, uh, Isaiah chapter 8, in verses 19 and 20. And when they say to you, Seek those who are mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Two things I want us to remember. God wants us to turn to Him in times of crisis. And He wants us to find guidance from Him that is easily testable, demonstrable by His word. Do you get get that from this passage? He wants us to turn to Him. Why? Because God loves us. He wants a relationship with us. And He knows that our emotional attachments to even people we love on this earth could supplant a relationship with Him. He wants us to seek Him during our times of crisis, during our times of of discouragement. The real issue is that God wants us to find comfort and answers and relationship with Him grounded in the teachings of His Word. We need to be men and women who study our Bibles, who know our Bibles, who seek for God's will and God's instructions in our Bibles, because only then are we safe from the distractions and the deceptions of the enemy. The real issue is that Jesus loves us and that He has something better for us. He has a better way to answer our questions, a better way to comfort our aching hearts, a better way to give us guidance for the future. I'm thankful for that, Jesus, aren't you? I'm thankful that we don't have to play with different spiritual mediums. We don't have to play with different seances or, or try to get in contact with the spirit world. The spirit world is trying to get in contact with us. The Holy Spirit is trying to speak to us. We don't have to go looking. He's looking for us. And He wants to give us guidance. He wants to give us relationship. He wants to give us comfort. He wants to be our Savior. Are you thankful for Jesus today? Are you thankful for His Word? Are you thankful that greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world? I'm thankful that we serve a risen, soon-coming Savior. And I just want today to once again commit my life to living for Him. Is that your desire? Would you like to join me in that today? Let's bow our heads as we pray. Father in heaven, today we thank you that you've given us in your word so much clear counsel, so much clear instruction. Lord, you know that we have hearts that are easily fooled. And so you've given us cautions and warnings. And I pray that as we've studied today this topic of, of communication with the dead, I pray that you would, you would help us not so much, I mean, many of us probably aren't going to do that anyway, but you just help us speak to us and show us how much you want a relationship with us, that we might draw ever closer to you, that we might be men and women of the word, that we might, we might seek that spirit relationship and a walk with you but in the confines within the bounds defined in your word 
We thank you for this, and we ask all of it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.